Woke up quick at about noon. We made it once again to a Friday and appreciate you so much for downloading, tuning in, streaming. Appreciate you so much for supporting and being part of the podcast with Damian Barling here on the Be Heard podcast platform. It is Friday, July 17th, and it is far from a slow news day. We'll get to Zion Williamson and his exit of the bubble that's got quite a few people in a, well, in a tissy, if you will. James Harden. Ugh. We'll get to James Harden in a few minutes, but let's open up uh, with the report that we alluded to yesterday. We knew it was going to drop at some point. We didn't know exactly what it was, but we knew something was going to come out from the Washington Post, and we knew that it was going to be pretty inflammatory towards the Washington football team, and in fact, it was just that. Uh, The Washington Post reported yesterday that 15 women who previously worked for the Washington organization have alleged sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former scouts and members of Daniel Snyder's inner circle. Now, a couple of things worth pointing out. Uh, Pro personnel uh, scout uh, Alex Santos is is involved in this. Uh, He has quit the organization in the last week. Uh, Richard Mann, similar position. He is the assistant director of pro personnel. He has quit in the last week. And then radio play-by-play announcer Larry Michael, uh, he is involved in this as well. And, of course, he has quit uh, within the last week. Uh, It is worth pointing out, though, there are no allegations directly against Dan Schneider. There are also no allegations directly against uh, former longtime general manager Bruce Allen as well. Uh, Washington spent most of yesterday uh, taking preemptive strikes in that they've hired a law firm to uh, look into their to their culture and Washington issued a statement to uh, the Washington Post yesterday saying while we do not speak to specific employee situations publicly, Uh, When new allegations of conduct are brought forward that are contrary to these policies, uh, we address them promptly. Ron Rivera spoke quickly yesterday as well. He he texted ESPN's John Kime and said, and I quote, this is from Ron Rivera, biggest thing is that we have to move forward from this and make sure everybody understands we have policies that we will follow and that we have an open-door policy with no retribution. Plus, my daughter works for the team, and I sure as hell am not going to allow any of this. So Ron Rivera apparently is going with the Urban Meyer approach where when you're talking about sexual harassment and you're talking about um, hostile work environments for female employees, you've got to point out the fact that you have a daughter. Uh, It's okay not to do that. As we noted way back with the Urban Meyer situation, you don't have to mention how many daughters you have. It doesn't doesn't play into a fact that you don't have to mention that you've been married for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. It it, it doesn't matter. The fact is you should be against sexual harassment, period, whether you have a daughter or not. Uh, The fact that Urban Meyer felt that he, or excuse me, the fact that Ron Rivera uh, felt like he had to throw in, plus my daughter works for the team. Well, what if your daughter didn't work for the team? Would you sure as hell not stand for this? Because that's, that's, that's what he said. Plus, my daughter works for the team, and I sure as hell am not going to allow any of this. Well, the correct answer would be is, I am the coach of this football team, and I sure as hell am not going to allow any of this. But men felt the need to point out their daughters. This really is no different than I have a black friend. Like, Don't get it twisted. That's exactly what this is. It's the exact same thing. I have more black friends than white friends. Trust me. It's, it's the same thing. When you're trying to 
defend something, you draw on your experience. Well, I, no, it's not true. I can't be racist. I have black friends. No, 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 no. I would never allow a, 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 in an, an environment that is uncomfortable to women. I have a daughter. In Urban Meyer's case, I've got a whole fleet of daughters. I guess we don't have to do that. If you're a man and you're listening to this and you ever find yourself in this situation, if you have a daughter, you don't have to point that out. If you've been married for 10, 15, 20 years, you don't have to point that out. If you have the greatest relationship on the earth with your mother, you don't need to point that in in this, in this situation. You can condemn this type of behavior. You could be firmly 1,000% against this. You could say, I sure as hell am not going to allow any of this and not have a daughter. Shouldn't even play into the conversation. But yet it always seems to find its way in there. Just like white guys who have black friends. They always find their way into the conversation. It's also been reported that three minority shareholders are seeking to sell uh, their interest in the team. Many of them uh, have been looking into this uh, for the last several months. Uh, those minor minority shareholders have hired the investment bank Mogan Company to vet buyers uh, and sell their stake in the team as they no longer want anything to do with Dan Schneider. So there's a lot here to dissect. Uh, we're going to break this down into two parts. We're going to break this down uh, just into the actual story, and then we'll break this down into the you know, the Washington football team part. And there is a lot of football news, and you know we will certainly get to it. But this type of environment in sports, so so you read this article, and it's 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 damning, and it's gross, and it's uncomfortable, and it's also you could look at it and go. This is probably, up until recent years, more normal than not. Now, it's, I, I, I don't know, I don't think that what we read yesterday, for those of us that read it, I don't, I don't think that what we read yesterday is as normal today as it was five years ago. Maybe four years ago. Maybe even three years ago. I don't think it's as normal. I, I do believe that, some sports organizations has have made an effort to clean up their behavior, but this is sports has always been treated like a boys club. Like we, we talk about this all the time. We talked about it with Do Some O. It's one of the main reasons that we've launched the Be Heard podcast platform. That the the lack of diversity gender wise in sports media is terrible. We're starting to see more female beat reporters. We're starting to see more, you know, women national. Uh, writers for whether it's the NFL or whether it's um, whether it's the NBA or, or Major League Baseball. There's actually quite a few women who are on the beat in Washington and who work for the Washington Post. I mean, obviously Sally Jenkins, friend of the lowdown, she's she's been on that beat forever. You know, they've got Candace Buckner, they've got Kimberly Martin, they've they've got some of the most talented journalists, some of the most talented women covering sports in Washington. But this is the environment that women have to deal with when they work in sports. That they shouldn't have to. Like women have a whole different set of problems that they have to deal with that we could never possibly understand. And I'm sure this is true for them in any job and in any walk of life, but it's specifically, uh, it, it is uh, even, even more true in the world of sports. Like, women have to cover sports differently than men do. Uh, when we go to games, when I say we, I mean you know, people in media. When men go to games, they can put on whatever they want. You, you'll find most media, they've, they've just got on 
button-down jean, maybe just a t-shirt, jacket. Like they, nobody, very, very few people dress up to go cover the Sacramento Kings. And I'm just going to use the Kings as an example because that's our hometown team, right? Very few people dress up to go cover the Sacramento Kings. But women, they have to be cognizant of that. They have to be aware of that. They have to dress nice, but they can't dress too nice. Women have to be, you know, outgoing and and really nice, but they can't be flirty. But they've still got to be stern and strong in their approach, but they can't be bitchy. Like there's this thin line. There is this incredibly thin line that women who cover sports have to walk. You want to be able to establish relationships with players if you're a beat writer, right? You want to be able to establish those relationships so you can get those informations, but you got to make sure that you're establishing a relationship for professional reasons. See, men, men, can, men can dress like crap, and it won't matter. No one will ever say anything. If I show up to 41 home games, I know it's wild to think that there might be 41 home games one day. But if I showed up to 41 home games in shorts and flip-flops and a tank top, like I had just come in, I don't think anyone's going to say anything. Maybe that's a bit extreme. Maybe if I just showed up with shorts and a t-shirt and some raggedy old shoes, isn't nobody going to say anything? But if a woman shows up dressed like that, if a woman shows up dressed like not to level 10, it's going to be pointed out by people. She might not be reprimanded for it, but people are going to talk about the way she's dressed. Now, if she dresses too nice, people are going to talk about the way that she dresses. It's, it's, I'm telling you, this line is razor thin. Be nice, but don't be flirty. Be stern, but don't be bitchy. Because if she's too stern with players, if she's too stern in the way that she interacts with an organization or other members of the media, well, then she becomes a bitch. Those aren't things that guys have to deal with. Because if you've gotten the label of a bitch, then it, you just carry it. And it's, it's like that's what you, oh, oh she's a bitch. And that's just, that's just what you're known as. When you're a man, you become an asshole, but nobody really cares that you're an asshole. Like, hey, I'll give you Grant Napier. Everybody knew Grant was an asshole. No one really cared. It was just like, yeah, Grant's an asshole. Like, just whatever. Keep it moving. It didn't change anything is my point. But if a woman is looked at as a bitch, it changes something. There are plenty of guys who are looked at as assholes, and it doesn't, it doesn't change a single thing. That's the, that's the privilege, if you will. That's the buzz term for 2020, right? It's the privilege that men have when they work in media, when they work in sports media. There is very, if there is a white privilege in society, there is very much a male privilege in sports media. There is a male privilege in the sense that men do not have to worry about the same things that women in sports media do. And it's horrible. Like every time you read about this, because every time, you know, when we got together and said, you know, we've got to create a platform, we've got to, we've got to introduce new young talent to, to an audience. We've got to introduce, you know, women who like to talk about sports or women who like to talk about anything. And, and you realize like, gosh, you're, when you, when you introduce Women into sports, it's like your, your love for sport has to outweigh your love for virtually everything else. Because there's quite a bit you're going to deal with along the way that men in your profession are not going to have to deal with. You see it all the time on social media because, you know, everybody shows their ass on social media. You find a woman, uh, let's use Josina Anderson, who used to be with ESPN, for example. 
Justina Anderson has has a source, gets some information. Uh, she tweets a story that Adam Schefter doesn't have. Well, Josina got it because she slept with somebody. Rachel Nichols, same way. Rachel gets a scoop that Adrian Wojnarowski doesn't have. Oh, it's because she slept with somebody. Never heard Adrian Wojnarowski got a got got a got tipped off on a deal because he slept with somebody. You don't you don't hear those things for their male counterparts. You don't hear that 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 Chris Haynes or Sam Amick or any other national reporter climb their way up the ladder by sleeping with somebody. Those, those, those are just things that you don't hear. But the second a, a woman drops a big story, it's like, oh, who'd she sleep with to get this? Male privilege. Rampant in the world of sports. And it's gross. And it's frustrating. Because we all do the same thing. Sports, sports media, speaking of sports media, not necessarily working for an organization. And, and, you know, there is, so what's the organizational fallout from this? Well, there'll be a fine. You know, the, the, the strong question is, is it, would, this be, uh, would this be the NFL's way to get Dan Schneider out of the organization? I think it's, you know, you know Jerry Richardson is, is kind of the, I guess Jerry Richardson is kind of the barometer. We always, you know, fall back to, to, to Donald Sterling, but that is in the, you know, that is in the NBA and that is with Adam Silver. Here we have the Jerry Richardson situation where uh, he sold his stock, which was primary, you know, the primary stock of, of, of the Carolina Panthers and, and moved on. Dan Schneider is significantly long, younger than Jerry Richardson. Would he be as willing as Jerry Richardson was to sell his portion of the organization? Um, I don't know. You know, my my gut instinct told me, yeah, like absolutely this is enough to get rid of Dan Schneider because this is a this so th- this was like a Dallas Mavericks situation. Right? It, like it, Mark Cuban wasn't involved, but your first you know your first thing is like how did Mark Cuban not know about this? And what did everybody say? Mark Cuban knows everything that is going on in his organization. Okay. Did Dan Schneider not know any about this? See, that's the difficult part. That's the difficult part if you're trying to force Dan Schneider to sell the Washington team is did he know how much was he aware, how much was he complicit, and most of all, because you know there will be court hearings for this, what can you prove? And that's what it boils down to. If you're Roger Goodell, you're the other NFL owners, and you want Dan Schneider out, what can you prove? Well, this article didn't prove anything except maybe Dan Schneider was negligent in the way that he ran his company. Is that enough to force him to sell the team? Probably not. What I can t- There's almost certainly a very hefty fine coming their way. I think the NFL uh, even issued a statement this morning saying um, they, they, they may take disciplinary action against Washington. They're going to have to take disciplinary action against Washington because if they don't, it is a slap in the face to every single woman who works in sports media. It's a slap in the face to every single woman who works Period. Because without any action from the NFL, it says that we can create an unsafe and hostile work environment against our female employees. And when it becomes public, we're going to do little to nothing about it. So the NFL has to act. It's just how swiftly will they act and how firmly will they act. 
and we're lucky here in Sacramento. We've got, you know, we have got a, a great diverse group of, of, of women who cover sports, it, particularly on the television side, not necessarily on the radio side. Thank goodness we have Morgan Reagan here on the Be Heard podcast platform. And I know they, Deuce and Mo did a, a, a special kind of immediate reaction uh, podcast uh, to this Washington story that dropped on the platform last night that you can go check out. We've got Lena Washington. We've got Sarah Hodges. You know, we've got really great, strong women who I'm sure will tell you what it's like for them, you know, having to cover the San Francisco 49ers and the Oakland Raiders and, 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 the, and the Sacramento Kings and having to, you know, cover high school teams and college teams and that thin, razor, razor thin line that you have to walk as a woman in sports, that men just don't have to. So there's no, I mean, transitions here with stories like that are, are kind of difficult. So maybe we go ahead and uh, drop a beat here and, and let you know that you can uh, get your gear over at dopeones.com, the dopeones.com. You can use the promo code 720SEVN. Two zero to get twenty percent off of your order. That promo code is good for about another four days. Uh, Seven twenty. Use that at checkout. Uh, check out all of the great stuff that we've got over there. You can check out the more than a podcast uh, clothing line that we've got there. We've got Be Heard T-shirts up, and of course, check out Nipsey Hustle, Kobe Bryant, uh, Michael Jordan. Check out all of the great gear. Uh, that Donnie Ramsey has available over on the dopeones.com. Again, 720 is the promo code. All right, that'll act as a smooth little transition here over to the National Basketball Association. And we'll start with Zion Williamson. So let's also kind of put this out there. I, I understand the, the process of the bubble is frustrating. I understand that it's confusing. But it's also become clear that people who should have taken the time to read all of this stuff uh, have not. And normally our first reaction is to grab our phones, get on social media and tweet about something. And we're tweeting about Zion Williamson leaving the bubble. And we're tweeting about how it's preferential treatment for Zion Williamson. And he only has to be quarantined four days. But but Rashawn Holmes, who crossed the gun line to get some food, had to be quarantined for 10. And I, I think everybody should completely understand this has nothing to do with Rashawn Holmes versus Zion Williamson, or this has nothing to do with a lower tier player versus a star player, or this has nothing to do with Zion Williamson playing or, 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 or the NBA playing favorites here. What this has to do with is the parameters that the NBA outlined well over a month ago, actually going on about a month and a half ago that they outlined these parameters for what would happen if you have to leave the bubble. I think we even discussed it. Gordon Hayward comes to mind, and I'm not a hundred percent positive it's him but there are a couple of players who are expecting kids in September and Gordon Hayward said you know if if my if my wife goes into labor we're, we're still playing like I have like I'm going like I, I'm, I've been there for the birth of all my kids I'm, I'm gonna be there for the birth of this one and the parameters for leaving the bubble have been outlined and they've been outlined very clearly. They've been outlined whether you get out of the bubble and you're you're driving somewhere, you're flying commercial somewhere, you're chartering somewhere. There are uh, different uh, there are different rejoining patterns if you pass COVID test every single day that you're gone. There are different um, 
uh, rejoining processes or re-entering processes, if you will, uh, if you've been gone for more than seven days. All of these parameters have been laid out. This isn't about playing favorites. The reason Rashawn Holmes is being quarantined for 10 days, it's a hard and fast rule that is not negotiated. He crossed this imaginary line to get his food delivery. Or it's not an imaginary line. It's actually a very clear line. He crossed it to get his food delivery, and the NBA acted because this is the parameters that the NBA put in place. Why? It's to keep guys from going to uh, you know, open facilities where there's no control. It's to keep guys from leaving campus. It's to keep coaches from leaving campus. It's to keep people who are in the NBA's traveling party from leaving the worldwide complex or the Disney World complex. The worldwide complex is where they play. But it's, it's to keep people from, from leaving this, this, this parameter of, of, of Disney World that they have set up. And even if you step over it the way that Rashawn Holmes did and you're making contact with someone that you should not be making contact with, well, well that's, the, that's the parameters now. This is, you, you can't be mad that Rashawn Holmes is quarantined for 10 days. You, you, you can't be mad that they, that they have a process that is different for Zion Williamson but still, you know, bitch about how the NBA is not even going to be able to go through with this. It's going to be an epic failure. So far, and again, we're not getting information in real time, which is part of the frustrating part. But so far, it feels like as we're approaching just a couple of days away from our first, our first scrimmage game is what the NBA is doing is actually working. So far, it appears to be working. Now, the Zion Williamson situation, he is leaving the bubble to, to tend to an urgent family medical matter. That is all we know is he left the bubble yesterday morning to tend to an urgent family medical matter. The Pelicans, uh, David Griffin, their executive vice president of basketball operations, said in a statement, we fully support Zion's decision to leave the NBA campus and to be with his family. Out of respect for the Williamson family, uh, we will have no further comment. It's a perfect way to handle it. Now, Zion will quarantine for four days upon his return uh, to the NBA's bubble if... He has a negative test each day he's outside the bubble if he's gone for seven days or less. So he's got a week, and he's got to take a test every day that he's gone. And as long as he passes all those, he'll come back. He'll be quarantined for four days, and I'm sure he'll take two uh, COVID tests before he returns to the practice court. If he has gone longer than a week, he will quarantine for four days if he has a negative test for the final seven days that he's gone. So if he's gone 12 days, for example, he doesn't take 12 tests. He takes tests the final seven days that he's out. And then the process is, is exactly the same. If he misses a test or he doesn't, if he, if he gets a positive on a test, he'll be quarantined for 10 days. And at, at that point, he wouldn't even be able to re-enter the bubble. He could go back to Orlando. There's an out, you know, there's an outer part of the the NBA's complex uh, that he could be housed at uh, and then once he passed multiple COVID tests then he could rejoin the bubble probably be isolated again I think for another four days then he'd pass a couple of more tests and he would get back to playing this isn't about playing favorites this is about reading and understanding the rules and the parameters that the NBA put out well over a month and a half ago probably close to two months ago You've just got to take the time to read them. This isn't about playing favorites. This isn't about Zion versus Rashawn or Zion versus anybody else. There are players who are going to have to leave the bubble. He's the first. He probably won't be the last. 
He's just a really big name, so it got everybody's attention. Not everything is 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 a big conspiracy. You just I, I understand it's boring and it's not fun, but sometimes you just got to take the time to read what the NBA NBA is putting out there. You got to take the time to read and understand these different parameters because when you go out and you start tweeting about it and you're wrong, it's like ah, like dog, you what was the Martin Lawrence line? We you've just got to read. Use your vowels. It's really not that big of a deal. Of course, it, 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 in terms of Zion in the NBA, it's it's not that big of a deal. Uh, in terms of Zion and his family, you just hope every you know prayers up to the family. You hope whatever he's dealing with, uh, you know, it's 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 obviously serious. Hopefully, it's not you know the ultimate form of serious where we're talking about you know a potential loss of life. But that's honestly that's that's none of our business. We evaluate it from a basketball perspective and. Uh, their first game, there being the New Orleans Pelicans, their first game, uh, their first scrimmage game is July 22nd. And then they will take on the Utah Jazz on the first uh, night of the NBA's restart. Uh, but, it, you know, that'll be the 30th. But if you're, you, you, you want to keep your eye on things and, you know, you're a Kings fan, you're timing things out because you're thinking about the Pelicans and you're thinking about the Grizzlies and you're thinking about the Blazers and some of these other teams competing for that final spot in the playoffs. Well, the game that you're probably looking for is the August 3rd game against the Memphis Grizzlies. When does Zion get back and then, you know, you can move forward? Or do we get a date of his return and we can start counting backward to figure out, okay, when, when, when does Zion have to get, when does Zion have to be back for him to be able to play in this August 3rd game? When does Zion have to be back for him to play on this uh, July 30th game? Because we're, I mean, we're, we're close. You know, it, it is, is, you know, each each time I've brought up NBA games, I've said, man, it God, feels like we're so far away. Well, now, like, we're getting closer. Like, we're headed into the weekend. You know, by the time we come back, it'll be the 20th. We'll be two days away from a, a scrimmage game. The next time we talk, we're going to be two days away from a scrimmage game. And then once those scrimmage games start... We're, we're, we're eight days away from the regular season starting. And then now it's starting to feel like, okay, you know, these guys have been in the bubble now for, sorry, these guys have been in Orlando for about eight to 10 days, depending on what team you're on. I mean, is it crazy to say so far so good? Of course, we don't know who all is there. I don't believe Russell Westbrook is there. We know that James Harden is there. James Harden arrived yesterday in a thin blue line mask. If you're not familiar with thin blue line is, it's, well, it's a Blue Lives Matter mask. And if you're not familiar with Blue Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter was formed as a way to counter Black Lives Matter. So what we were saying here in this situation, and I can't believe that this has to be explained again, but if you don't understand the racial connotation to blue lives matter it's like when we were talking about the undertaker you know the to me the wwf destroyed the wwe destroyed 30 years of the undertaker in one five-hour documentary that that five-hour show they put on was just absolute shit it was trash and it was almost it was it actually got to the point where it was just annoying like every t- like the Undertaker is great. He wants to retire, then he can't retire, and he comes back and he sucks. But he can't retire because he can't go out on that note. It's like when you're leaving the gym and you got to make your last shot. 
Anybody else do that? Like when you're shooting at the gym and you're like, all right, I got to go. I got to wrap it up, but I got to make my last shot. And you just can't can't make it. You got to shoot the ball 50 times before you hit it. And then you hit it. And then you go, oh, okay, okay, all right, one more, one more. Back to back, back to back before we go. And then you miss again. And then you miss like your next seven. That was The Undertaker. But all the while he's doing this documentary, he's wearing these Blue Lives Matter shirts from this company that is very racially charged. It was like, God, I really would have liked The Undertaker better had I not known that. I mean, sometimes it's just best not to know. The Undertaker has had this mythical character for, character for 30 years. I just would rather not know. But, man, it is a ballsy move for James Harden to show up in a Blue Lives Matter mask. At the same time, the company that he works for and the athletes that he works with and his teammates are talking about Black Lives Matter. And if you don't think that Blue Lives Matter was built in a racial connotation, think about it. Think about people who walk around screaming All Lives Matter. And think about the people who walk around screaming Blue Lives Matter. What, what, what word did they change? Because if, 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 you, if you don't have a problem with Blue Lives Matter, you don't have a problem with All Lives Matter, what's your problem with Black Lives Matter? Well, well, let's see. Do you go up to people who have a Blue Lives Matter mask on, a Blue Lives Matter t-shirt on, a thin blue ma- line uh, t-shirt on? Do, do you go up to them and do you say, hey, man, fuck you, firefighters matter too. Hey, man, dental hygienists matter too. Their lives matter. Hey, man, doctors' lives matter. Hey, man, the accountant, his life matters because that's what we're talking about now, right? We're talking about professions. And no matter how you frame it, like being an officer is, is a profession. Blue represents police officers. Okay? So, so your issue isn't with your issue isn't with blue. It's not with all. Also, your issue is with black. James Harden shows up with a Blue Lives Matter mask on. Okay? Well, I guess I don't have to ask what... I, I, I guess I don't have to ask what jersey he's wearing. He's probably just wearing something that says Harden on the back. Because I don't know how you wear that and then talk about Blue Lives Matter, or Black Lives Matter for that matter. I don't know how you wear that and then talk about social justice or equality. I don't know how you wear that and talk about really anything. So that's interesting. And of course, James Harden's not going to have to answer any questions about that because that's not the way the media works. Like, I don't know the next time he's going to be put in front of a, I don't know the next time he's going to be put in front of a Zoom camera. I think he was put in front of a Zoom camera yesterday. And up until I saw the shots of his mask, um, I thought this was the funniest part of James Harden's return. Um, Mike D'Antoni said uh, he was probably rusty for about 30 seconds. Uh, and then he was back. Uh, this is a good line there from Mike D'Antoni. And then there's this quote. I think the world knows no matter what's going on, James Harden loves to hoop. He's a competitor. So today in practice, we got after it. We played a couple quarters. We pushed each other. Uh, I'm doing a lot of trash talking as usual just to let the guys, uh, mot- just to keep, get the guys motivated and keep pushing. I'm going to read those first two lines to you again. I think the world knows no matter what's going on, James Harden loves to hoop. He's a competitor. So today we got after it. You know who said that? James Harden. That was a quote from James Harden. James Harden loves to hoop. He's a competitor. I'm dead serious. That's a direct quote from James Harden. Man, that dude is, he's, he's different. He's touched. 
We knew that we knew that all along. We knew that he was touched and he was a little bit different, but holy smokes. I keep thinking that picture was photoshopped. Was it like are we a hundred percent positive that that mask was real? I keep looking at it like, man, this is I can't think is this like an under armor line? It's it's not. Yeah. Oh well. Y'all y'all can have James Harden. I'm good on him. Uh Major League Baseball is considering or is it not even considering. Major League Baseball has told players that uh, they're going to add video game crowd noise uh, to their upcoming games and by the way, that's set to start here in what like a week? Yeah, that's sets baseball set to start here uh, in about a week. Um European soccer clubs have did that. Major League Baseball, they've pumped crowd noise into or certain teams have, I should say. Uh, certain certain teams have uh, pumped in um, crowd noise during scrimmage games or during their inter-squad games. And I, I think a, a couple of guys, a Brewers infiel, infielder, Eric Sogard, said, yeah, it, 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 it steps up. The, like, it helps. It steps up the competition a little bit. They're still going to use... Um, they're still going to use walk-up music. They're going to use in-stadium video. They're still going to do the things that they normally do. They're going to try to replicate an in-game experience as much as they can. Hey, I'm for it. Why not? Just try it. I mean, really, I don't. There's nothing. Try anything here at this point. I'm down for it. Let's see what it sounds like. Uh, European soccer has been doing it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what it sounds like when Major League Baseball does it. And I don't think it's going to be a big hindrance to Major League Baseball because, remember, you can't see the crowd. Like, baseball is the one sport. I think there are sports that you creatively can shoot. Soccer is the same way. That you can shoot, and you you don't really have it, you know, other than when they follow, you know, the foul ball into the stands, which is something that they obviously, in my eyes, if you're the camera people, you just don't do. You don't have to follow a foul ball into the stands. You're probably going to hear the ball hit the chairs, which is going to be a little bit different, or you're going to hear it hit the concrete, which is something that you normally don't hear. But baseball can be shot in a way where you don't realize that they're playing in an empty stadium. Football, for the most part, can be shot the same exact way as well. If you get creative with the end zone shots, maybe you cover up the... uh, Maybe you tarp the seats in a way to where it doesn't look so... You know, so jarring, but football can be shot in a way that you don't notice that there aren't any fans there either. And the NFL, you know, they're they're trying to they're 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 trying. I, I guess leave it at that. They're, they're they're trying to figure out how they're going to move forward with training camp uh, in eleven days. Uh, I don't know that we're any closer than we were on Monday here today on Friday, uh, but we have found out a couple of things. I don't know exactly what they mean. An NFL Players Association database shows that. 72 NFL players uh, were known to have tested positive for the coronavirus as of July 10th, so as of seven days ago. The problem with that number is there's no context behind it. We have no idea what it means. Like 72 players tested positive for coronavirus. Okay, how many were tested? Like were 72 tested? Were 100 tested? We're 400 tested. You know, once you know the total number of people, then you can put some context behind the number 72. We have no idea what what that 72 means. We don't know uh, how many of them, you know, were from one specific team or how many of them were from one specific region. Uh, We just don't know how many tests were done. 
But the NFL Players Association database has that, and they released that information yesterday. I just don't know what we're supposed to do with it. it it's, it's information. It's public. It's on their website. It provides players a market-by-market market look at how the virus has been spreading in cities where camps are scheduled to open uh, later this month. Uh, there's also a map on the site that, based on 14-day averages of new positive tests, are currently showing uh, Miami has the hottest virus spot among the NFL markets with 4,164 average daily cases over the past two weeks. Right behind that are Los Angeles, Arizona, and Dallas. If we rewind time and we go back, must have been beginning of June where Gavin Newsom, where the the mayors of California, Texas, New York, all talked about stadiums, all talked about fans in the stadiums, all talked about uh, social distancing, football games and baseball games and being able to get a percentage of fans already in. Arizona's not in that cluster because they were already doing it. And now here we are, Los Angeles, Arizona, and Dallas as three of the top four hotspots. The other one, of course, being Miami. We all know that DeSantos has been wilding out from day one. So that's just a little bit of the news that came out of the NFL yesterday. Uh, there was some more news. And I think we, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. We didn't have like the full story behind it, and, and now we do. This was presented to the Players Association as, as part of their negotiations this week, but the NFL has proposed that each team's cost be slashed in 2020 by $40 million, and that's the word that the NFL owners have been using. Slashed. They want teams' cost slashed this upcoming year by 40 million dollars now how do you slash a team's cost by 40 million dollars well there are two ways to do it you reduce the salary cap and you cut down benefits it's absolutely spectacular to think this is the most nfl story ever that the nfl the most dangerous sport in this country wants to save money by cutting players benefits like the NFL is operating as if they are the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin. They've got to cut costs. They've got to pick the cheapest health care plan to save the company money. Thanks for picking a crappy health care plan, Dwight. That's, that's what this is. The NFL is operating as if Dwight Trude is in charge. And, of course, the players are 100% against this, as they should be. Because what the NFL players are saying is, like, if we're going to lose money this year and we're going to lose money next year, let's stretch it out over the course of the next eight years instead of trying to absorb it all at once. And I'd like to reiterate, the NFL is not losing money. They're just not making as much. And, the NFL, and for the first time, potentially, ever, the players, they have a little bit of leverage in this situation. Because there's no clause in the collective bargaining agreement that that changes anything in case of a global pandemic. Believe it or not, this is not something that they thought of. 
if one game is played, if one week of game is played, one and this is where some interesting posturing could could happen. If one week of games is played, players will get their full salary. They'll get full pay. Now, if no games are played, the league could argue that based on a standard player contract that no game checks are owed since the standard player contract does not trigger the duty to pay base salary until the first game of the season is played. So this is a this is going to be an intrigue, you know, coming off of their collective bargaining agreement negotiations, you know, back in gosh, it was March. I remember having Amy Trask on, you know, the day before the collective bargaining agreement was agreed to by the absolute thinnest of margins. And this was this was days before the world shut down. This was the middle of March. This was that second or third week in March. And well, I think it, well, well, it, it passed by the absolute slimmest possible margins. And I was like, oh, wow, they really rolled over for this one. Well, they've got a little bit of leverage here. And I don't understand why, if you're the NFL, why, if, 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 if you can slash cost by $40 million, and maybe this goes back to the thing that we've talked about regularly here on this podcast is because there's no end date, because we don't know when this might end, because it doesn't feel like there's an end for the global pandemic in sight. It doesn't feel like we're going to return to any sense of normalcy anytime soon. Maybe the NFL is looking at this $40 million uh, $40 million price cut or this $40 million slashing of budget, maybe they're, looking this, maybe they're looking at this as step one rather than like our definitive way to, to save money. They're looking, this, looking at this as our first step of saving money. And it feels like the players have a lot of leverage here. But I felt like the players had some leverage going into the last collective bargaining agreement, and I was clearly uh, proved wrong as well. The players have no obligation to do anything until next year based on the collective bargaining agreement that, you, that they just signed. Uh, one thing they did come to an agreement on, they being the NFL PA and the NFL, one thing they did come to an agreement on is the league intends to change the injured reserve rules to create a COVID-19 classification. So players who test positive will be placed on the COVID-19 list for three weeks. And what that will do is create a roster spot uh, that can be filled by a player who, of course, has not tested positive. Uh, players on the list would be paid their normal salaries, and it's unclear what will happen if a player on the COVID-19 list uh, can't return after three weeks, at which time he would be eligible. That part uh, hasn't been laid out. Um, but uh, if not, you would think he's just returned to IR. But remember, IR is a is a lengthy, like they're reclassifying this because when you're put on injured reserve, you're generally done either for eight weeks or you're done for the season. And so they're reclassifying this. There's, it's, it's great that they're creating its, its own specific, specific classification. This is something that we've talked about you know, for weeks now. What would happen if a Patrick Mahomes tested positive? What would happen if a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or a star quarterback tested positive? Well, we know now. If one of those guys tests positive, they're gone for three weeks. 
It's because injured the, the the injured reserve isn't negotiable. It's not like well he passed he passed seven COVID tests in his first week. It doesn't matter because of this classification. You're gone three weeks, which is a guy. I'm sure there's a reason for it. I, I assume that the three weeks isn't arbitrary. It seems weird that the NBA is doing ten days, but the NFL would do twenty one. And their goal is their goal is to keep going. Their goal is to get through the sixteen weeks. Their goal is to keep their roster strong. Their goal in uh, you know b- b- putting someone on an injured reserve list allows them to sign someone else, or or bring up a practice squad player or whatever. Maybe maybe teams are going to have you know w- b- baseball has the taxi squads. Maybe maybe NFL teams are going to have something you know kind of similar to a, to, to a taxi squad. Obviously, they have their practice squad. I understand that but they're just going to be readily available, ready to come up and, and, and start playing. Another compromise that may have come out of the meetings this week between the Players Association and the owners is uh, potentially getting a preseason game. The NFL wanted two. The NFL Players Association wanted zero. And it seems like a very likely compromise, according to Pro Football Talk, is one. Uh, but the issue is things that they haven't quite figured out is it's easy in some cases, right? Like it's easy to have like the Jets versus the Giants. It's easy to have uh, the Chargers versus the Rams. Uh, it's easy to have maybe even the, the the Ravens versus, you know, Washington. But like what if you're Seattle or what if you're Denver? You know, what if you're w- w- one of those teams? It would be easy to put Dallas against the Cardinals. Like, there are easy ways to work out one you know, preseason game that's not I- I- exceptionally strenuous on either of the teams involved. Uh, but there are a few teams that you look at and you go, ah, I don't, I don't really know what this amounts to. But it, it appears, it appears uh, that the, the, the concession will be, uh, there won't be four preseason games, there, there, there won't be zero preseason games, uh, it looks like maybe we'll get one uh, out of it. Uh, Tiger Woods returned to action yesterday on the PGA Tour event for the first time in 150 days. Uh, he has five shots off the lead. A lot of guys put up, I mean, there, there were some good scores yesterday. Uh, there were some fun highlights coming out of yesterday's uh, start of the tournament as well. Um, but Tiger is tied for 18th. Uh, he has five shots behind. Uh, he recorded two of his First, uh, he recorded two of his four birdies uh, in the first three holes. So he started strong, uh, but didn't necessarily uh, finish super strong. Uh, hopefully, we finish strong here today. Hopefully, the entire podcast, Be Heard podcast platform, uh, finished strong. We appreciate you so much for your support today uh, and for your support this week. It was really exciting to finally be able to bring you the Be Heard podcast platform, something that we have been working on uh, for the last couple of months. I'm happy we were able to bring it to you. Uh, I hope you've had an opportunity. Uh, I know there's a lot of crossover audience between uh, the podcast and the Deuce and Mo podcast, but if you haven't checked them out, make sure you do. Make sure you check out the Throne Room. Those guys are a lot of fun. Kenny Caraway and Jason Jones. I called it the Throne Room. That's the name of their old podcast. It's called J Street Vibes. Make sure you check out J Street Vibes uh, and everything that they got going on over there. And of course, the Dope Ones podcast and make sure you go to the dope and check out all of the great gear that they have available for you if you use the promo code 720 s-e-v-e-n you got to spell out seven 720 to get 20 percent off get your more than a podcast t-shirt get your be heard t-shirt uh, and check out all of the other fantastic gear that you have on if you have uh, a desire for more content you can go to patreon.com slash damien barling and check out 
the most popular podcast I do by far, Be Conscious, that is available for you there exclusively on our Patreon subscription service. We just dropped a new episode a couple of days ago. Uh, I've made some changes to an upcoming episode of Relive. I'll tell you about that uh, next Monday. As a matter of fact, I'll make a post and put it up on Patreon.com as well. But I've made some changes to the next episode, and I've made some changes uh, to the rest of Season 1 that I'll tell you about over there on Patreon.com slash Damien Barling. So go check that out. Be safe this weekend. Mask up. And we'll see you next week here on the podcast with Damien Barling. <laughs>